Crossing Broadcast is brought to you by Carlino's Market in Ardmore and Westchester. You have a few days left before the Super Bowl to get your orders in. Let them cater your Super Bowl party and the fine folks at Amerigas, the nation's number one propane provider, available at over 55,000 locations across the country. Um, we had a live show at Carlino's in Westchester on Tuesday night. It was a great time. A lot of people came out. Over 100 people were in in person. It was incredible. Uh, we had some issues with the third microphone. So Kevin Kincaid and Sean Cottrell were on site with Kyle and I. Um, they provided some great insight. Unfortunately, a lot of that audio is just something that we cannot use in this episode. Um, so we will be jumping around. I'll be jumping in and out to kind of move this conversation along. At the end, there are predictions. Uh, despite the audio quality, we kept them in with Kevin and Sean, Kyle and I. And a special song, perhaps the new Eagles uh, love ballad or fight song. So uh, stick around for that as well. We will be back again on Friday with the final episode of Crossing Broadcast before Super Bowl 52. So hope to see you and hear from you on Twitter at Joy on Broad, at Crossing Broad, at Adam Lepko. Enjoy the show. Yeah, good to go. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Carlinos in Westchester. That is something you always wanted to do. I'm so excited. We are at my stomping grounds, the place that I can say took most of my refund check in college, the place that kept me from being emaciated. It is Carlino's Market in Westchester. What an exciting evening we have planned for you tonight. So thank you for everybody uh, for coming out. If you don't know, I am Kyle Scott from Crossing Broad. Uh, Russ and I, along with Adam Lefko, do the Crossing Broadcast podcast. Adam is not here. He's actually on Radio Row in Minnesota right now with uh, Bleacher Report. For those of you who drink to listen to podcasts, take a big sip. Take a sip. There you go. Uh, Russ has been campaigning to do an event at Carlino's in Westchester, so that opening was, was it everything you hoped for and more? It was everything I hoped for. <laughs> we are Taste that tomato pie, put that Italian hoagie right where it belongs, enjoy the dips, enjoy the crostini. Somebody is going home with some catered spread for the Super Bowl. I mean, can we get some hype for some Carlino's catering? Thank you so much. So we are joined today by a couple of guys who write uh, with me at Crossing Broad. This is Kevin Kincaid, who is also our sound engineer. Kevin covers the Eagles and Sixers for us. He spends many of his days at the Sixers practice facility, uh, a little bit shorter than Joel Embiid. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, is our he is the professional arm of Crossing Broad. I am the jackass. He is the guy who does it the right way. Uh, and this is Sean Cottrell, who contributes to the site, sort of football, football nerd, a fair term. This is, uh, so this is a big week for him. His cousin is going to be joining us in a little bit. He put together a very funny and also very good Eagles Super Bowl song. Uh, he's going to perform it on his acoustic guitar. So uh, hopefully we can all hear that. And then he might even stick around and play some uh, uh, cover songs for us. So... Uh, I guess we should just get into it. We do have a few thanks in order. Russ has, of course, mentioned Carlino's. We do want to thank uh, La Cabra Brewing and Boxcar Brewery for um, being so generous to show up and bring us free beer. Cheers for free beer. Uh, we, all, Of course, Carlino's for making all this possible. If you haven't already, it looks like everybody has. We have 
tomato pie, wings, crostini, dips. Everything is over there. It looks like everybody's making their way through the lines. And uh, we also want to thank our other sponsor for the show, which is Amerigas Propane. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they are the nation's number one propane provider, available at over how many locations, Russ? Russ? How many locations? 55,000 across the country, found at your local Home Depot and 7-Eleven. So they want to power every tailgate so you can get some of this fine food, and then if you want to, I'm sure there's something here you can put on a barbecue, get your Amerigas propane tank. We should probably just get into it. Uh, Guys, hey, the Eagles are going to get the Super Bowl. I mean, it can't get any better than that. That is exciting stuff. On the heels of a week where there has been no football, we finally ask the question, at what point does it sink in that the Eagles are in the Super Bowl? When I watch Nick Foley and Dynamite get off the plane with his hipster knit cap and his nice big rim glasses, that's when it hit me. I said, this man, who looks like he's about to go teach a philosophy class or maybe a journalism 101 class, is about to go defeat the evil empire themselves, the New England Patriots. He is going to win us the Super Bowl, ladies and gentlemen. For, for me, I think it was seeing him next to Tom Brady last night for media night, which, by the way, has become, like, the worst sideshow in sports. You know, media day used to be a thing, and now they've tried to make it into a live television event, and it, it just does not work as well. The Eagles didn't go on until, I think, 10 o'clock. After talking with Adam on Sunday night when we recorded the first half of Monday's podcast, he said that the entire event, it's just a bunch of guys trying to fight each other for the same stupid basic question. And the one thing that I learned is that those guys are off limits the rest of the week. It's, that's your one chance. And when you watch ESPN go live and you expect to see your Eagles and they come on until 10 o'clock, you're missing out on a lot. My highlight of the night, I think, was uh, they asked Doug Peterson – what kind of tree would you be if you could be a tree? And he looked at them and said, a Douglas fir. What do you think Chancellor Bill Belichick would have given any answer to that question? I think he would have said we're preparing for the game. We're looking forward to playing the Eagles. He is a humorless, I don't think there are kids here, he is a humorless prick. Like He is funny in real press conferences, but I mean, like you got to lighten up for that event. And the Eagles were such a contrast to the Patriots. Uh, coming after them because none of the Patriots have any sense of humor. They're all robots. And then you have, you have Brandon Graham putting on the rubber, some random rubber mask. Plenty of parallels have been drawn in the past to Boston and Philadelphia being similar sports cities. We took a moment to reflect on why we hate them so much. Boston's the enemy. Do you remember a few years ago there was the issue where anything that had French, they called it freedom. They rebranded French bread, freedom bread. They called them freedom fries, right? So I, I would like to, to propose to the people that we no longer call them Boston Cream Donuts for the rest of the week. We'll just call them Freedom Cream Donuts. It's, it's very catchy. And we honed in once again on what exactly it is that we hate about Boston. I think part of it is they're, very similar, they're a very similar city to Philadelphia in a lot of regards. They're very provincial. Uh, it's largely blue-collar. You know, but In both cities, the demographics are changing a little bit, but they're very pro provincial uh, northeast cities that care about their sports teams. New York falls into that, but New York you know, is so transient and so you know, just on another level, whereas we could see a lot of ourselves in Boston. And up until 2004, I think around here, a lot of people were probably rooting for the Red Sox in that World Series. Yeah. They were a nice feel-good story, and Boston has turned that page that Philly has never been able to, or ha we really haven't turned yet. We got the one World Series, um, but you know they've had, like, what, 10 championships in the last 
um, you know, 12, 15. They're actually writing a book. I think Kyle, Kyle had alluded to it before. It's uh, Bricks and Pricks, the Boston story. It's a <laughs> bestseller, New York Times. Well, that's it. And they've lost all that goodwill that they had. My point was all that goodwill is gone now because they are insufferable and they're winning. I just imagine that Doug Peterson and the team is sitting around. There was the story that Chris Maragos was trying to make a reservation for a few of the Eagles players to go out to dinner. And I like to think that in the locker room, they're, they're kind of going Braveheart. <laughs> right? They can take their uh, our Airbnb. They can take our dinner reservations. But they'll never take our freedom! How does that sound back in the bakery? We then turned our focus to this vaunted Patriots offense. Yeah, so so let's let's turn our attention to their offense because I think like like Kevin said here, we've spent a week discussing the Minnesota fans. We spent several days discussing what it's like to win the NFC Championship. Now here we are um, going up against the Big Bad Patriots. Um, I got to be honest, you, he's written two things: one about their special teams, one about their offense. Both scare me. The left-footed punter thing. There's something about Kenyon Barner that just worries me. Like, I'm just waiting. It just I always feel like he's going to have a fumble at the inopportune time. He made that little bit of a bonehead mistake against the Falcons, not waving off the punt. Oh, and the weird thing with Brady is he's actually gotten uh, better as his career has gone on. I mean, these, this is arguably the best two years of his career in a lot of ways. Um, he has... He's become more of a presence in the game than he probably was the last time the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. Um, there was a lot of, I don't want to say game management going on then, but he is now a substantial chunk of their offense, and both of you guys could speak to this. The thing that really worried me, and this is what you wrote today, Kevin, the one thing the Eagles have struggled with this year uh, against the Seahawks with the empty back spread sets and the Giants being dinked and dunked their way down the field Patriots are very efficient at the little five, six, seven-yard slant routes, and the Eagles do like to sit back on defense, give up a little bit of a cushion there, and it's it, it kind of neutralizes what their front four is able to do. So you wrote a little bit about this. So dive into that a little bit because that's one of the things I'm most worried about is you know Ronald Darby playing 12 yards off a guy, and uh, you know and, and allowing five-yard routes all the way down the field. We then tackled the flip side of the Eagles' defense taking on this offense. Is it just my eyes, or does Ronald Darby seem to play about two yards further back than the other corners? And for a guy being as quick as he, like he, you know, he doesn't really need to give up that space. My biggest concern going into it is I think so many of us are used to seeing Tom Brady as the dink and dunk passer, the 2012 version of himself where everything was within the box, uh, short slant passes, gutting a defense where it's, it's like death by 500 cuts. It's not that that final gashing, you know, mortal combat finish him blow. Uh, but Brady in the last couple of years has been more of a guy who goes over the top. Do you guys fear that this is going to become more of that 500 slash game, or is it going to be something that Jim Schwartz is going to prepare for to be a 500 slash game only on a second and six to decide to go deep on a 40-yard bomb and either catch Ronald Darby off on a on a pass interference call at Jalen Mills on a double move. Like, is that the kind of thing that scares you? I think one of the things, to your point about the Eagles, and Sean could probably speak better to this, but you lose a Darren Sproles, you lose a Carson Wentz. And um, I had tweeted something yesterday. It was a screenshot from ESPN showing the career stats of Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. And it wasn't meant to compare them. Uh, Carson Wentz is obviously the much better player, but their numbers were almost identical. Uh, wins and losses, completion percentage, touchdown to interception, they're certainly not the same player, and Nick Foles' stats are influenced by his time with Chip Kelly in the 27 touchdowns, two interception season. 
But there's a lot to be said for what Doug Peterson has been able to do offensively, even last year, even when they weren't as good, even when they had that rut in the middle of the season, it always felt like they were able to stay close in games and get themselves into the red zone and sometimes not knowing how they even got there. Um, we complained a little bit. We definitely complained last year. And I know we here on the podcast complained at the beginning of the season. They were using a lot of dink and dunk, a lot of uh, stuff that was wider than it was long. You know, we called it the tuna can offense. Throughout the season, they opened it up. When Foles came in, it seemed to get dialed back a little bit, and they struggled to move the ball, and then they completely opened it up against the Vikings. So, um, you know, speak to those similarities between Peterson and Belichick in being able to use what they got to be effective, regardless of who the player is. Like Corey Clement, it was you who wrote about him a couple of months ago, saying don't write him off after they got Jay Ajayi. And, you know, on another team, he's, he might be a fringe NFL player. On the Eagles, he's an impactful running back. You don't feel it's an aberration, do you? Because I, I, I think there was a part of this, a part in October, November, where we looked at what the Eagles were doing and said, right, okay, this isn't sustainable. Clearly that's not the case. Clearly they're very good. Clearly they might be the Super Bowl champions. Um, is it just really good? You know, is it is it the sort of thing where the maybe the lack of not lack of talent they have huge offensive line talent, but like it's going to catch up with them. Perhaps the highlight of the evening was Kyle Scott finally admitting he was wrong about Doug. Kyle, have you ever publicly admitted that you were wrong about Doug? Because sure. in the beginning of the season, and this was something I don't think we talked about on Monday, but Kyle was taken to task by somebody on I think on Twitter. Somebody was writing an article, and they. They happened to point out that Kyle had said that he didn't think, this is a, a thing that Kyle likes to say, that Doug was not a very bright person. That he didn't think Doug was intelligent. Kyle, you've walked back the LeGarrette Blunt argument. Are you now prepared publicly with the Philadelphia Eagles on the, the precipice of reaching what could be eternal glory in Philadelphia? Are you finally willing to admit... <laughs> That the man who wears a visor every game, who rocks a middle part, who may in fact be referred to by his friends as Dougie, is actually an intelligent NFL head football coach. You're going to savor it if I say I was wrong, right? I'm going to go pure Stephen yeah. A. Smith if you, if you don't. Yeah, no, and, and the thing about Stephen A. Smith or Skip Ellis, they would not admit when they're wrong, and I'm going to go ahead and admit I was obviously dead wrong uh, about Doug Peterson. Uh, oh, we got the guitar here. Nice. Can we get a round of applause for Kyle finally admitting he's wrong about Doug? The thing, the, the tweet that you speak of, I think it was a Sports Illustrated writer, and he went back and found a post where I think I called Doug Peterson a doofus, uh, which uh, that didn't age well, turns out. Didn't you call him? Dumb and Dumber, Ben McAdoo. Uh, I did that. I definitely did that early. Didn't I? It may have been Dumb and Dumber. It, didn't you it call him a boob for most of the year? Called him a boob for a little while. Look, a lot of people didn't know. Here, the, here's That's the, the thing with Doug Peterson, which is, which is so in, incredible with what he's done, and they sort of touched on it earlier. I meant when I mentioned last season, I feel like he w he was always able to get um, the Eagles in a position offensively last year, regardless of what who they had on the team, what time of year it was, who the opponent was, in a position to score. His scheming ability, I don't think any of us have ever really doubted. It's that it, me personally, I had been expecting him to make the uh, 
that in-game decision that cost us. And, you know, who knows? <laughs> Maybe that eventually happens. Hopefully not. He doesn't have the clock management issues that Andy Reid had. Um, he allows the players to be themselves. There's a lot of... Think about this. If the Eagles win the Super Bowl, the two guys who have done it for this town in the last 30 years are going to be Charlie Manuel and Doug Peterson. Two guys who arrived here with, you know, gigantic eye rolls and guys who let players be players. Like It was like at the end of his Kansas City run, he was finally calling plays. The interesting, interesting stat that I just Googled, so it has to be correct, if the Eagles are to win and Doug Peterson wins... Uh, you know, leads them to a championship. He would become one of only five coaches in F- NFL history who have played in the league and won a Super Bowl as a head coach. He would be joining the illustrious ranks of Mike Ditka, Bill Cower, Tony Dungy, Sean Payton, and Gary Kubiak. Pretty good group. Only five coaches in NFL history. And it's weird because, like, when they initially hired Doug and we didn't know what he was as a play caller, we didn't know how he would relate to players as a coach, we knew that there were some positive things that were coming out of Kansas City. We didn't actually think, I, I don't think we gave enough thought towards how important it is to be able to understand how a locker room works in the NFL. And like when, when Jeffrey Lurie said the line emotional intelligence, I think plenty of people rolled their eyes at it. They thought it was a stupid line. They thought it was a total sellout. It was just a way to sell this guy who had no experience as the guy to replace Chip Kelly. But if he wins the Super Bowl, he's one of only five former players to win a, to win a Super Bowl. That's an incredible accomplishment for a guy who had no head coaching experience prior. And I think even even more to your point is, it, it's it you know, it, the hate that he got early on wasn't just the fact it wasn't who he was. We didn't really know who he was. A lot of the hate that Doug Peterson got was because. Of um, it was really kind of aimed at the Eagles. It felt like the coaching search was a little misshapen. It felt like they settled on a guy. The emotional t- intelligence thing felt a lot like Jeffrey Lurie just wanted to take his team back from Chip Kelly and wanted to have more control and wanted to bring back his guys, which, by the way, is something the Flyers have done, which Anthony can speak to. I don't know why I'm pointing at you, Anthony. Anthony used to work for the Flyers, so he's at fault. But, um, you know, that's, it felt very Flyers. It felt like them bringing in their guys the opposite has now happened happened it's it's worked out yep. but i think when we really criticized fourth and eight i think i called it fourth down and uh dumb or fourth dumb and eight which again has not aged well but i think part of that was we didn't really have a track record to go on with doug peterson we just knew that he was this likable guy who um you know the, the locker room liked the organization liked and you know that he could scheme offensively but we hadn't really seen his coaching chops so every time something bad happened we just wanted to graft Andy Reid onto him now we have enough two seasons worth of sample size say hey the guy's a pretty good coach maybe he he might not be perfect but he's got the Eagles in the Super Bowl in the second year and if he wins you're right it's going to be a huge statue the initial Um, showing I think the the initial thing that kind of spoke to the fact that he was more legit than we intended or that we first thought that he was was the incredible staff that he built the Frank Reich's the DiFilippos that he's put together, the fact that he was able to Jim take Schwartz. Jim Schwartz, who had been a, a head coach previously, convince him to become a defensive coordinator. There's something about this guy as as a football mind, and as much as a lot of times we like to roll our eyes that like you know people had said that Howie Roseman wasn't a football guy, Bo. You know, it's it's important to point out that he was able to convince plenty of guys who have experience in the NFL, who have plenty of experience coaching elsewhere, who had head coaching experience. He was able to get them to fall into line and to believe in a concept and to believe in this team mentality. And that might have been, I think, was very overlooked at the time. And now looking back at it, we have revisionist history. But 
he, the fact that he was able to convince these guys to come in and be part of this staff, and like in the offseason we had seen plenty of articles about how Jim Schwartz was looking to usurp him. We had people who were calling into the, the sports radio station saying they hoped that the Eagles were going to go you know, 2-14 and 14 so that Doug would get fired so we could finally put Jim Schwartz in. Let's put a real football guy. The fact that he could build as great of a staff as he did spoke to his, I think, uh, validity as a coach. It spoke to the fact that he could actually do this thing and he could be a much better and more impactful all-time Eagles coach than I think any of us or anybody in the NFL community would have given him credit for prior to him being hired. With Matt Patricia and Josh McDaniels expected to take head coaching jobs elsewhere, we examined their expectations. The problem His is... First stint, I, well, I think that when McDaniels first got hired, he was, he was given plenty of credit as being the mastermind behind that offense. And I do think that people thought... Because he was that was after that was after Romeo Cornell and I think Charlie Weiss had both flamed out in the league. Yeah, he was kind of seen as the beacon of hope of this Belichick coaching tree. If, if nothing else, Andy Reid, to his credit, although he hasn't been able to win the big game, he has had plenty of coaches go on to play in big to get their teams to play in big games to play in Super Bowls. Yeah. The Belichick has not had that that same success. But we do kind of do that with Belichick. I mean, when these assistant coaches move on, you know how much of that is because of them. And how much of it is because of Belichick. So I think we grant that on them, but Belichick hasn't been an abject failure in the playoffs throughout the course of his career. So, you know, the, his coaches move on and we're like, oh, they must be great. They coach for Belichick. So I do think that happens with, with any coaching tree, uh, with any, you know, even like college players coming out of a certain school. You know, Penn State has great linebackers. Like certain things do get grafted on the guys, but we've used the term grafted at least four times now. And uh, I could use an arm matriculate. I think they, you know, the Eagles are. The Eagles are, I mean, really good this year. This isn't a fluke that they're there. I think part of the underdog thing is the fact that, um, you know, not, not much was expected of them coming into the season, and then they were so good and then lost their best player. So I think right up until that December 14th game or whatever it was against the Rams, you're like, you know what, yep, they're actually really good. They're a Super Bowl favorite. They're probably the best team in the NFC, maybe the best team in football. And then when you get, your best player gets hurt, it's like rewinding the tape. You know, it's like whatever our thought process was at the end of September or the beginning of October about what maybe the Eagles could be, I think after Wentz got hurt, we went all the way back to that. Because it was like, well, if he's the league MVP maybe and we lost him, how good can they really be? So now you're the underdog all over again. I feel like by December they were starting to become a favorite, and we were starting to accept the fact they were really good. I mean, people were genuinely making Super Bowl plans. In November there were argu articles about, hey, what day would the parade be? There was actually an article on CBS Philly, your former employee, which trolling which and clickbaiting in the middle of November. But the point is, like, we were starting to think that way. And then Wentz gets hurt, and now you're an underdog, literally. Like, the underdog is defined by, you know, who's favored to win the game. And Vegas has, at home against the Falcons, the last team to get in in the NFC, had the Eagles as an underdog. Against the Vikings, the second-place team, playing on the road in Philadelphia as an underdog. And against the Patriots. Though they're really only a four-point underdog, and they probably would have been a slight dog against the Patriots with Wentz. So I don't think it's not like this like long shot thing, but you do have a team that is playing without their best player, the quarterback. You should be a slight underdog in those situations. They just have the luxury of having a really good and capable backup, you know, better than 90% of the teams in the league in terms of guys who are coming off the bench. And I think what we're learning is, okay, yeah, there's there's obviously some sort of drop off from Wentz to Foles, but the Eagles were actually really, really good and really well-rounded. I would say 
they're probably a better team than the Patriots. And what is still the anchor that's holding them down is the fact that, you know, you we're still not sure who, who Nick Foles really is. Um, and that's that's not a knock on him. He obviously played great against the Vikings, but I do think if Carson Wentz is in this game, it's Vegas probably considers it a push. I really do think the Eagles are, are more well-rounded, slightly more talented, have better interior line play than the Patriots. And they, the X factor right now is the Eagles not having Wentz and the Patriots having the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest coach of all time. Um, so they're an underdog to a degree, but it's not like this is like some – Villanova in 85 against Georgetown game. This is, like, no one would be surprised to see the Eagles win this game. In fact, I don't think I would be surprised to see them win by two touchdowns. I- so the, 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 thought, the thought with the 2008 team was, man, wouldn't it be nice if this young group who had only made the playoffs for the first time the year before were able to actually make, like, at least a first-round win? We didn't expect anything. And then it would like I, do, I don't think the entire 2008 narrative is complete until you withdraw yourself and then you think back about the 2010, 2011, even 2012 team, because the 2008 team was the least talented team that they rolled out, and it was the only one that won the World Series, which is where like there's part of me that has a fear. I said this on Monday. There's part of me that has the fear that people are going to get complacent. Now, look, if the Eagles were to lose this game, I'm not devastated from the standpoint that they have already far surpassed what my expectations preseason were. The fact that Doug Peterson was, able to, was able to coach up Nick Foles, that DeFilippo, that Frank lose. Reich were able to coach up Nick Foles, where this team is going to go in against the evil empire with a backup quarterback and only make the, the Super Bowl for, what, the third time in franchise history. This in of itself is a success. But if they were to win this game, I would have the fear, the only fear that I have, win or lose, I have the fear that people are going to think that just because they made the Super Bowl this time means they have to get back the next few years, that it's a guaranteed thing. Remember, in 2004, we were watching what was maybe the most dynamic duo in the history of the Eagles within, like, I don't know, I'm not going to count Norm Van Brocklin. I don't know if anybody was alive for Norm Van Brocklin. No offense to Ray Diddenger if he's here, but I don't know if anyone was alive for that. So my point here is, we, we lived in a time where Donovan McNabb was throwing the ball to Terrell Owens in what was maybe the most electric single season between a quarterback and wide receiver in history. We had a dynamic running back in Brian Westbrook, and we thought there is no chance that this team doesn't go back to the Super Bowl the next, the next year, that they don't start a, a new dynasty. My only fear, win or lose, this is an incredible season. I don't want to see people not live in the moment for this thinking, well, at least there's next year. We'll have Carson Wentz back. I don't, Let's I, live in the moment of the fact that this team is in a Super Bowl. We'll have a backup quarterback. Let, let, the, let the record I say. I almost went Stephen A. Smith there, and I'm you, really sorry. You did. Let the record show that Russ said, uh, let's live in the moment, and then feared what would happen next year if the Eagles won or lost the Super Bowl. I mean, that's, that's fair. Listen, Nick Foles is a very close personal friend of mine. I am the godfather to his children. No, I'm just kidding. One of the biggest internal debates we've had is the date of the parade. Slack chat. Here comes another one. This is time to brag. I had a source, a very reliable source, who told me a week ago that the Eagles parade, if it were to happen, 
not to hype up Bill Belichick and get him ready for his pregame press conference, his pregame speech to the team, is that they would play on Wednesday. I was laughed at. I was mocked. I was ridiculed. I was told by the founder of the Phillies' most irreverent sports blog crossing broad, Kyle Scott himself, that there was no chance that the parade would be on a Wednesday. He said it is a Tuesday. A few days later, Bob Wankel, who writes for the website, does a fantastic job, said he had a source that said Wednesday. Today, when Kyle decides to make the, the post go live, he says, Bob, you've got to take credit. You were first. To which I said, nay, nay, let the record show that my source, a fantastic person who will remain anonymous, was the first. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that if you took a personal day, if you took a sick day for next Tuesday, that you've already deleted that from the system and you've now put in for Wednesday. Because once again, Nick Foles, Nick Foley, and Dynamite will be leading your Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl championship. I just realized you kind of sound like a 1920s auctioneer in front of the crowd. <laughs> does he talk like this at home? He does. At home? Everywhere? That's weird. I'm really sorry. With the Eagles only having won one championship... We discussed how many championships Philly has won in 50 years. We had, what, we had a Sixers. We had a Sixers. We had two Flyers, right? No. Yeah, we had, we had the Sixers. We had two Flyers. We had at least three Arena Bowl championships with the Soul. We had the Philly. We had the Soul. We had, we had the Philly. So uh, I want to answer your 2008 question. Because I, I thought you made I think there are a lot of similarities between this year's Eagles team and the 08 Phillies. And I know this is like the hokey Philly sports talk radio thing, too. Let's compare which player, you know, who is Nick Foles on 2008 Phillies. Like, screw that. I think they're, I, you know, where I think they differ is that that 08 Phillies team had made the playoffs the year before. They had, um, you know, guys coming into that year that were genuine all-stars that we expected to make the playoffs. And in baseball, if you make the playoffs, you make a run. Where I think they are similar, and that wasn't the case with the Eagles this year. Where I think they are similar is... You said the OA team was probably the least talented of the three. You Easily. Know, you know, Easily. We, the five. we went into that with, with a Cole Hamels right. as, as the ace. They Absolutely. picked up quickly the next year. They had Howard There's Andrews a realistic well. chance that is the case with the Eagles right now. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you might have Alshon Jeffrey back, but you're going to have Carson Wentz. Chances are, if the Eagle, you know, now that they've established themselves, they're going to attract some other free, you know, they might attract some free agents. They might actually be more talented over the next few years. But as far as a team, much like that 2008 Phillies team was, like just – Everything is clicking right now. Everything from day one this season, setting aside the injuries, has gone right. You know, even when Carson Wentz goes down, Nick Foles comes up and wins that game. Like, everything this season has gone right. That this, like, you know, if they were to win the yearbook for this season, the storyline would be would just write itself. Because every step of the way, they have just impressed. And every time you thought they had kind of reached the end of the line, no, they weren't done yet. You, know, you thought maybe they beat the Falcons and they, they, they kicked the Vikings' ass. And, you know, I... If they come out and win 24 to 10, I'm not going to be surprised on something. You're going to yeah. be like, why should we be? They've killed everybody all season long. They're just better than the Patriots. The only, like Philadelphia, it's, it's that the only Philadelphia team that and I might can think be. of within the last 10 years or so that has managed to get every good break literally and figuratively was that 2010 Flyers team. They literally broke Krejci's wrist, and they got back uh, a Briere and a Gagne along the way to lead them to a Stanley Cup. But even in that game, I think – in that series, we knew that, that the Flyers were a massive underdog to what was going to be a, a Chicago dynasty. Right. 
And so it's the same. It's like it, it's a similar concept here. Like it is. Had, the Eagles we, are better. Like you no, know, the Flyers the going into that series were a long shot. That's the thing that's different. Is even in the national media perspective, when they look at it, if you take away that NFL morning show that in the uh, the NFC Championship had said that the Vikings were the better team on the pass rush and the pass game and the running game, <laughs> and with their coach, if you take them out of it. Most national media outlets have acknowledged that the Eagles are at least on par, if not better, overall talent-wise than the New England Patriots. It's a weird place to be, to be what many consider the more talented team, even though you are rocking a backup quarterback that was contemplating retirement. It, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's ever happened before. We said the 1990 New York Giants team with Haas Settler was, was similar, but I don't even know. I, I don't remember because I was born in 1990. I don't remember if... In 1990, Haas Settler's team, the the uh, the Phil Sims team, was actually the better team. Can somebody please let, was Haas Settler's team the Giants? Were they favored? Were they the better talent team than the Buffalo Bills? The Bills were the favorite. Was that what, which which Super Bowl was that in a row? The first one that set the dynasty. All right, good. We took a look back at the Eagles' defense stepping up in key situations this season. That. Final, that final series against Atlanta, we all knew that it was going to be a fade route to, uh, to Julio Jones. We all feared it. And Jalen Mills, who's played out of his mind all season, came up you know, in, in the biggest moment and advanced the team. And then they capitalized on that, and they went out the next, the next week and absolutely dominated a Minnesota team that we thought had maybe even more dynamic receivers, a better receiving core overall than, than Atlanta did. And the fact that this defense, like, there, there have been times in the season where every morning on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 6 a.m., bright and early when we're recording this thing, we've talked about the fact that the Eagles defense, I think through, like, the first eight or nine weeks, we're doing things that we're not used to with Eagles defenses. They make open field tackles. They are sound fundamentally. They don't blow that tackle that leads to a 20, 30-yard pickup. They had a lull. They had a down, a down time, and, and leading up into the playoffs, and especially the second that that first game hit with Atlanta, this defense has gone to another level. And, and when we talk about defense wins championships, they've stepped up in the biggest stages of them all, and, and the only hope going forward is that they're going to be able to do it once again. And there's no reason to think the way that this defense has played all year, there's no reason to believe that they will not do that against this New England Patriots attack. Uh, yeah, and I, I think part of that, if, last thing here, and then maybe we give our predictions, and we got a song here from Colin. Last name. I'm the worst. Let's go with the song. song and Colin the Will. Will. All right, yeah, all right. We So we got a song from, Sean, this is your cousin. This is Sean's cousin, Colin, who posted. Make some noise for some live music. He posted his song on Instagram. When did you post this? I posted two days ago. Get on the mic. You posted it Friday night. So when did you write it? Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon. Nice. So uh, did you? Is this like a? Is this a cover of anything, or is it? It's strictly. <laughs> All right. So this guy's the new Bob Dylan. We'll let him get set up here for. Oh, there we go. Let's get one more for the people in the back. Another Eagles chant to lead into this beautiful music. This man is strumming a guitar, Sorry. and you will show respect. Eagles chant, let's go. Uh, E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Bless you all. Uh, Thank uh, you. This song is called The, uh, the Ballad of St. Nick. Uh, Big Stick Nick, we believe in you. You dropped a big one on the Vikings. 
and on the Falcons too. And if you're gonna cry about the way you were treated as a fan, well don't go putting purple colors on the Rocky statue, man. We say Water, we say John, we say Dilly Dilly all night long. And if you think that we're afraid of Brady, well you're Philly Dilly freaking wrong. We got Cox, we got Long, we got a secondary looking strong. Doug Peterson and a visor there to lead us. And on the sidelines we got Ginger Jesus. So let's get rolling blunt. I believe in you. Just knock them down right up the middle and score a touchdown or two or seven. And if that doesn't work, just get around midfield for me. Cause Elliot's kicking bombs and I bet he can make 63. Sweet water, we say John, we say dilly dilly all night long. And if you think that we're afraid of Brady, well, you're dilly dilly in wrong. Cause we got cocks, we got long. We got a secondary looking strong. Doug Peterson and a visor there to lead us. On the sidelines, we got Ginger Jesus. Belichick, I'm sorry to say, you got some bigger balls coming your way. Gronk is still kind of like you, but I hope that you can take this L today. You gotta take the L today. So give me an E, give me an A, give me a G, L, E, S, what does that say? Give me E, give me A, give me G, L, E, A, what does that say? Give me E, give me A, give me G, L, E, S, what does that say? Underdogs at home, but nobody can defeat us. Cause on the sidelines we got Ginger Jesus. Woo! I didn't write an ending to this yet, so, uh, <laughs> Scopers! Yeah! There we go, y'all. E-A-G-L-E-S! incredible that was hey that was fantastic how you how it right <laughs> i mean how many times in your first performance you have people singing the chorus <laughs> there's no ending does it just kind of keep going he's got to write another verse when they win the super bowl there you right? go you got one more verse and you got to put the cap on it that was awesome on the heels of perhaps the new eagles anthem kyle scott kevin kincaid sean Cottrell, and i revealed our predictions for Super Bowl 52. Yeah, so let's do, um, I'll, I'll go first here. I, I think the Eagles are going to win. I think they win 24 to 10. I honest to God, honest to God, like this is not, not the Homer thing to say. I thought it would be a close game against the Vikings. I was a little bit unsure against the Falcons. Um, I just think they're 
better. If Nick Foles plays 80% of what he did against the Vikings, the Patriots' defense is not as good. There's no reason why the Eagles can't put up a, a lot of points. The Patriots really did need a, yet another miracle to beat the Jaguars. They had 10 points in the fourth quarter and were down two scores. I think the Eagles are just all around better. Um than the Patriots. It's that simple. I don't think this is a game that it's like a, a miracle for them to win. It's not a long shot. I think the Eagles are better if Nick Foles is even somewhat of a decent quarterback. They win the game rather easily. I agree. I, I, strangely enough, I, I, I was very hesitant with the Falcons game. I was very hesitant with the Vikings game. Um, I can't explain why I feel I just feel so confident in this game. I just think this team like I said before, has just find a way to win whenever it matters. Um, I think, as far as the game goes, I think it's going to be close early on. I think first half, maybe go back and forth. Um, and then second half, I think this team does what they've done all season, just put them away. Just Woo! overpower them up front and put them away. And I'm going to say 27-17. Like, He's used to following the Philadelphia Union and nothing good happens to them. It's not his fault. Yeah, maybe it's just years of losing that kind of, uh, you know, works. And West Virginia had to, yeah. Uh, no, listen, man, I mean, look, how, how do you bet against Brady and Belichick in the Super Bowl, you know? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not overlooking that. I do think that the Eagles are the better team. I think they're better in the trenches. You know, I think that's where the game's going to be won. It's the offensive line. We didn't even mention the Eagles' offensive line tonight at all, did we? With Halapulavati Vitae. I mean, think about it. The fact that you lost your starting quarterback and your starting left tackle in the yeah. Super Bowl. And a guy who I think has been one of the best players on the team all year, starting linebacker, starting MVP. Brandon Brooks, how many times have we said his name this year? Jason Kelsey was rated the best offensive lineman, I think, by pro football focus this year. So I, I think it's going to be harrowing and nail-biting, not enjoyable at all. You're gonna, it's just going to be gut-wrenching the whole time. But I think the Eagles, I think the Eagles jump out to like a 24 to 10 lead, and then they hang on to make a defensive stop, kind of like the Falcons game. I think the Eagles win 24 to 23. I said this on Monday, and it's 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 something that I'm starting to think is going to happen. The Patriots and Super Bowls have scored zero points in the first quarter. I think the Eagles get out to a, to a solid lead. I've now done the math. I want to see how close I am after this whole thing is over. I think James White scores a touchdown. Amendola scores a touchdown. Goskowski has a field goal. Gronk scores a touchdown for a total of 24 points for the New England Patriots. But I think that LeGarrette Blunt. Continues to prove Kyle Scott wrong. He through, scores two touchdowns. Jay Ajayi scores one touchdown. Jake Elliott kicks he two field math. goals, one of which will let it lead us to be able to say F you Phil in the Slack chat. And I think that Trey Burton will have a touchdown. I think Gronk fumbles once, Brady is intercepted, and it goes back to the two yard line. I think that Chris Long is going to force some pressure that will cause an interception. Special teams will provide short fields and cause Brady to march a far distance. And I think the Philadelphia Eagles will win this game 34-24, to the gospel according to joy. Amen! They're going to lose 7 nothing, aren't they? <laughs> Let the record show he has an actual math equation here with touchdowns and uh, did you carry a one? Who said what that algebra this? would never be useful? 
was it the first thing you wrote down in that notepad all day long? Listen, I've got a, no, I've got a lot of notes. I have so I many notes. What could possibly be writing about? Uh, I'm referencing anything or not? Now, listen, I just say, I, I, you know, it's, it's special for a lot of people. I, you know, when, when you write about the team, you don't necessarily look at them like a fan anymore. But I think of, like, my dad's 67 years old. My uncles are 60, whatever the hell years old. They've never seen the Eagles win a Super Bowl. You know, and uh, you think about like what Cubs fans went through, and even Red Sox fans for a little bit. We won't talk about that, but you know, just how much it means to the city, um, and how much it means to a lot of people. Never seen a title here, you know. Uh, you can't explain that to anybody on the outside, but I think everybody in this room understands. Not to be emotional here, but uh, a big thank you to everybody who listens, everybody who came out tonight. Uh, we've had plenty of people come out. People came out to the Ardmore show. I think we dwarfed that crowd tonight here in the fantastic Westchester, Pennsylvania. It is legitimately standing room only. By the way, uh, one of the cooks back there looks like Claude Giroux. Holy crap. My God. Ginger, ginger Jesus. I didn't know Ginger Jesus was on the bench for the Flyers. So, How long until so, Dave Hackstall decides to sit him too? So thank you for everybody for coming out, including Claude Giroux. But seriously, we have standing room only here at Carlinhos and, and, and Westchester. The, the, line, the line was going all the way back to where the pizzas are made. A big thank you, to, of course, as always, to Carlinhos, to Amerigas, and, of course, to the greatest fans in the entire world, or at least southeastern Pennsylvania, Philadelphia Eagles fans and the fans of the Crossing Broadcast. Give us a round of applause. Let's... Let's should we end with Fly Eagles Fly? No. You wanna is, lead, is can you that, lead us in Fly Eagles Fly? Sacrilege. I don't know that one. Is there oh anything? My God. I think it's a little bit superstitious. I had an Eagles, hey, I had an Eagles season ticket holder tell me today that you do not sing it unless one. they score. E A G L E S Eagles!